Chapter Thirty One of Beyond These Voices. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Beyond These Voices, by Mary Elizabeth Breton, Chapter Thirty One. Chorus was at work again, not at a London dinner table this time, but in the easier atmosphere of a North Riding Manor house. Which men left in the morning to shoot grouse, and came back to in the evening to gossip with their womankind, in the cheerful light of an oak-panelled dining room. Chorus was wearing black, quite the prettiest thing in complimentary mourning, which all her friends assured her suited her to perfection, and took ten years of her age. Susan Emflit had received that kind of compliment too often of late. She thought people were beginning to lay a disagreement stress upon the passage of time, in relation to her personal appearance. I doubt if I shall ever wear anything but black for the rest of my poor little life," she said tearfully. "That darling and I were like sisters, and that she should have died when I was in Scotland, hundreds of miles away from her. It must have been sudden. Heart failure. No one was with her." She had three hospital nurses to look after her, but she died alone in a dark room, while two of them were dawdling over their tea, and the third was in bed. The dog whined, and they went to look for her. She was lying in a huddled heap on the carpet, near the open door, and that poor faithful beast was standing by her, whining piteously. Where was Rutherford? At Newmarket, of course. The only place where he has been happy for a long time, settling up next year's campaign, who was to write for him, and so on. What had become of the devoted husband you used to tell us about? Does anything last in this decadent age? There never was a more romantic couple than this sweet creature and my cousin Claude three years ago. Their marriage was a poem. Everything about their lives was full of poetry. Their house was the most popular in London. Their chef quite the best. They were all sweetness and light, the most brilliant example of what youth and cleverness and good looks and unlimited money can do. But the good wood before last changed all that. There was unweed and run down. The two things go together, don't you know? And broke her engagement to stay with the Waterburys for the race week. Claude went there without her. You all know the sequel, so why recapitulate? Nothing was ever the same after that. Was there an inquest? Asked the host. Thank heaven that wasn't necessary. Her doctor had been seeing her every morning, and knew she might go off at any moment. Heart failure. She was buried in Italy, at a dull little place on the Riviera, in the grave with her first husband and his daughter. Her own wish. She was all poetry to the last. A poet's daughter. From the tragedy of Mrs. Rutherford's early death, the conversation somehow took a retrospective cast. The people talked of the murder that had happened a long time before. It is curious how long the interest in a murder may survive, if the murderer has not been discovered. There always remains something to wonder about. After nearly half a dozen years, the Provana murder could still bear discussion. People's pet theories. Seemed as fresh as ever, and were discussed with as much animation. While those people who had theories 
which they would die rather than divulge, were the most interesting of all the theorists, for they could be driven to ground with close questioning, as in the familiar game of clumps, until they made a resolute stand, and refused to say another word upon the subject. I dare say it is quite horrid of me to think what I think," said one vivacious lady. "And you would hate me if I were to tell you. Give us the chance, at any rate. It will be a new sensation for you to be hated. One thing at least I may say: it has always been a mystery to me how those two people could bear to live in that house. Oh, but you cannot bar a fine house and your own property." Because your husband has been unlucky enough to get himself murdered in it. Here, Chorus, who had sat disapproving and even angry, while her friends were discussing the murder, chipped in suddenly. "You don't know Vera," she said. "Her memory of Pravana was an absolute coot, and she loved the house for his sake." "It's a pity she kept her worship for the husband's memory," said somebody. For the state of things between her and Rutherford for some years was an open secret; everybody knew all about it. Nobody knew Vera as I knew her. She had no more of common earth in her composition than if she had been a sylph. People might as well talk scandal about Undine. The men of the world who were present, and the women who knew nearly as much of life, smiled and shrugged their shoulders. Well. It is all ancient history," said a bland worldling with smooth white hair and a smooth elderly voice. The romantic friendship, the murder, the marriage with the romantic friend, dulas, dukas, dupas. Nothing can matter to anybody now. Nothing except who killed Signor Provana," said the lady who had declared she would sooner die. Then tell anybody her theory of the murder. End of chapter thirty-one.